November 28th, in person and online at Arise Church Denver. All right, welcome everyone. I am so glad that you guys are here. My name is Matt Wolf. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here and I want to get to know you. That's why you should fill out that new form at arisedenver.com slash connect and we'll give that $5 to the Denver Rescue Mission in your name, which is needed at this season. Um, and we, I also want to emphasize again, I know Sawyer said it, we saw the video, but that meal pack, it's going to be awesome. Okay, I went and invited my neighbors. They were out putting Christmas lights yesterday. They were outside, right? Boom, time to go invite them to this meal pack. And I did, and they were like, oh, I think my son might be interested. And I said, yes, he is interested. Um, I don't care if you're not a churchgoer, you're going to want to be here for this. It's not a church service. We're going to be packing meals. It's going to be exciting. So make sure you guys are coming to that, inviting people to it. It's going to be awesome. Um, I wanted to, before we jump into our series, or our, our new series and our message on miracles, I wanted to just to say, do a special prayer. We have so many people in our church that are in the medical field, and it's a pretty hard season right now. So if you're here and you're in the medical field in, in any way, doctor, um, technician, nurse, um, administrator, could you please stand right now? Would you, would you please stand right now? I know we have some. Please stand, Rachel. Okay, I see you. Okay, let's just give them a hand, all those people in the medical field. We appreciate you guys, and I just want to pray for them because I know this has been a, been a challenging season. Would you all pray with me? Um, Lord God, we do lift up those who are working in, in a very challenging time, and it's been tough for two years, but with the, the numbers peaking in Colorado with so many issues and, and hospitals being uh, overflowed with, with COVID patients and others, Lord God, we just pray for your grace and your mercy to abound to our um, medical um, doctors and nurses, technicians, custodians, administrators, people that work in hospitals, Lord God, we just pray that you'd give them strength right now in the season, endurance, and we pray for courage, that they would continue to push ahead even when things are challenging. I pray for a fresh burst of that strength today, and Lord God, that you would just um, be with them, because you, God, are the great healer, and your son is the great physician. So we just pray this blessing on them in this season and especially those who have to be working this morning because they are at hospital or, or, or wherever it is, Lord God, that you would bless them especially. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, who's ready for miracles? Yeah, Jenna's ready. Okay, good. I think it's, it's going to be a fun se- series. It was a, a great first service um, as well. So miracles, can we, can we still believe in miracles today? Okay, some people are saying yes. Other people are like, nah, I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. It seems like in our modern, advanced, educated, scientific age, we need to leave miracles behind, right? Just the idea of of believing in these supernatural things. Can we even do it anymore? I have a few quotes from some philosophers and scientists that that show what a lot of people feel about miracles today. And this first one is from Robert Greene Ingersoll, a philosopher, and he said, Ignorance is the soil in which belief in miracles grows. You believe in miracles, you guys are ignorant. Shouldn't you know better by now? Miracles don't happen. They don't really exist anymore. It's ignorance if you believe in them at all. Or how about Ethan Allen, not the furniture maker. Okay. This is a philosopher as well, over 100 years ago, said, um, in those parts of the world where learning and science has prevailed, miracles have ceased. But in those parts of it, as are barbarous <laughs> and ignorant, miracles are still in vogue. Over 100 years ago, said we don't experience miracles here in the West where we're smarter, educated, scientific. Or Max Planck, the German physicist, who in the 1930s said faith in miracles must yield ground step by step before the steady and firm advance of the forces of science. 
and its total defeat is indubitably a mere matter of time. Indubitably. We scientists have figured this out. We don't believe in the miraculous anymore. It's time to put those childish, ignorant, foolish, unscientific beliefs behind. Some of you uh, have heard people say this stuff. You've read these scientists. You've heard them. They've been your teachers, your professors. Perhaps you're one of them here today. You know, it's amazing that not only are there, we have a lot of people that just don't believe in the supernatural, but there's even, as we're going to talk about today, a lot of us who are Christians going to church. Do we really believe in miracles? See, I think a lot of people go about their entire life as if miracles don't and can't happen. They're for all intents and purposes, practical atheists, an unbelieving believer. And that's the title of my message today, The Unbelieving Believer, because we're actually going to look at someone from the Bible who I think could fit that very well, an unbelieving believer, because a lot of us, whether we're believers or not, we say, miracles, I don't know. I've never experienced it, I've never seen it. That's maybe other people or or way back in time they believed in that stuff, but not us. I don't think so anymore. But I'm going to challenge you today, don't be an unbelieving believer. Don't be an unbelieving believer. It's time to reassess everything, to have an open mind. Some of you are like, I don't think I believe. You're you're listening to my voice right now because somebody shared this with you because they know you're an atheist or an agnostic. Keep an open mind because that's what we're supposed to do in our modern scientific era, right? We're supposed to have an open mind, open to evidence, and that's what we're going to talk about today as we open up this series on miracles today. So this series is um, around the miracles of Christmas because, yes, Christmas is all about miracles. And I'm not just talking about that fat man getting down your chimney, okay? Or whatever happened on 34th Street. I'm talking about the miracles that are quintessential to the Christmas story. Miracles like, you know, a young woman getting pregnant without sexual intercourse. Miracle. (laughs) Or, Or all these Uh, Dozens of prophecies coinciding and happening exactly as prophesied hundreds and thousands of years in the birth of Jesus. Or or about the miracles of God himself coming down as a homo sapien with flesh and blood among us. Miracles. Christmas is all about miracles. So we're going to look at some of these miracles and we're going to take those. And it's actually going to give us ground to ask some deeper questions. Can we believe, you know, do miracles still happen today? Can we pray for them? What if I'm not experiencing a miracle? We're, We're going to talk about that all in this series. And most of our messages here are expository messages. And if you don't know what that means, that's okay. Be, we expose the Bible here. That's what my job is. Here's what the Bible says. Let me tell you about it, okay? That's what I do. In fact, I'm, I teach uh, preaching, uh, expository preaching over at Denver Seminary. So I'm all about that. But this series is going to be a little different because we're going to use these stories of miracles in the Bible, and we're going to use them as the starting ground to, to get into these questions that we all have about miracles. Okay, you guys tracking with me on this series? So what we're going to do today is look at one of the miracles that happened right before the Christmas miracles that we know about, and it's going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to go from verses 5 to 25 today. If you have a Bible, you can open up there. If you have the Version Bible app on your phone, or if you don't, you should get it, because we have our Rise Church Denver um, event there in the app, and you can take notes, see the scriptures that we're using for today, and also see some links in that app. Um, so, so please do that. And we're going to start in Luke 1, verse 5, as we are introduced to an unbelieving believer. You guys ready for this? Verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He's a priest. He's a religious dude. He works for God. Who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. You guys know about that? 
His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So why does it tell us these details about who Zechariah is? Well, he's a priest. He's a religious dude. And he comes from a line. There were 24 different lines, houses within the, the, the priests, uh, among the priests and Abijah, that family tracing their lineage back uh, over a thousand years. Zechariah can trace his lineage. He's got priestly blood. Okay? And his wife is priestly blood as well. Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. Do you know who Aaron is? The brother of Moses, the very first high priest. Okay, this is as religious of a bloodline as you can get. This family has been religious for as long as anyone can know. And here is this priest, Zechariah, a religious dude. In verse 6, it tells us they're not just religious blood, but they're religious in action as well. Verse 6, it says, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Raise your hand if that sentence could describe you. Okay, yeah, none of us are going to raise our hands, right? We're not blameless, we're not righteous, and yet that's what it says about these guys. They were religious, and everybody saw it. They did everything right. They followed the Bible. They knew the Bible. They did what they were supposed to do. So this is, uh, as a religious person as you can get, living as righteously as a religious person can, but they have an issue in verse 7. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Wherever the physical or medical reason, we don't know. Elizabeth couldn't get pregnant, and she wanted to. And to top it all off, it says, they were both very old. Now, this might echo a story from some of you, if you're Bible readers or grew up in the church, from Abraham and Sarah, who were both very old, facing the same situation. We're not told how old they were, unlike Abraham and Sarah, who were told were quite old. I did a lot of research on this about that phrase, very old, and, and I wish it would tell us how old they were, one scholar said that this language was probably used to people over 60. We can't be sure, but we know that they were old. She was physically unable to conceive, and they were way past the childbearing years. And this wasn't in a day and age where they could just travel to the best clinic and go get some in vitro, right? It didn't exist. They could not have a child, this religious family. Verse 8, we continue reading. It says, Once... When Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So there are 24 different clans among the priests, and they each served for a couple weeks a year. So one week in the spring, maybe one week in the fall, so that all the whole year could be covered. So this guy would work in the temple or the holy place where, where God resided, and they offered all these sacrifices. So he's there already. This is one of the most religious and important times of the year. This is his big week. For me, it's like Christmas and Easter, right, as a pastor. Okay, these are big weeks. This is the big week for Zechariah. He's in there serving. He's faithful. And then on top of that, he gets chosen by lot, meaning they cast some die to pick who among that clan would get to go into the sacred place, into the center, because only one person was allowed in. And that one person would be able to go light incense. Now, there were so many priests in those days that you would only get chosen by lot maybe once in your entire life. It's go in there, light the incense they did in the morning and in the evening. We don't know which one it is here, but he's chosen. He gets to do it. This is a big deal. Okay, this is not just like Easter, because that comes every year. Okay, This is like the pastor that gets to go preach at the White House. Okay, that's a big deal. I'm not going to be that guy, right? Okay. This is a big deal. Rick Warren, Anzi Stanley type, right? Okay, this is a big deal that he gets it. So this is one of the most religious people in one of the most religious times. 
most righteous people around, and here he is on his big religious day. This guy should be the best believer of them all, right? And yet, that's not the case. Because he goes into the sacred place. Only one person was allowed in, so nobody's in there. He goes into the sacred place, goes up to the altar, he lights the incense, and while he's doing that, I I just imagine him just kind of chilling. There's this dude in there, an angel. Hey, Zach, what's up? Okay, that's what's going on. Okay, an angel is there in the sacred place where nobody else could go in except this one priest. And he goes in, and this angel addresses Zechariah. And he says, Zechariah, we've heard your prayer. And he's been praying, I'm sure, for a very long time for a child. And your prayer will be answered. Elizabeth will be pregnant, a miracle. And not only that, your son will be named John. You guys might know him as John the Baptist. And this John has been prophesied about. He, he references a prophecy that comes from Malachi. In Malachi, there were two different prophecies about this person who would come before the Messiah. And there's another one in Isaiah. There's all these prophecies. And this angel is saying, Zechariah, you're going to be the father of John who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah because the Messiah can't just come on his own. Okay, Somebody's got to prepare the way. And that is your son. He will preach and turn people in repentance back to me. It's going to be amazing. And then the Messiah will come. That's a big deal, right? Angels telling a miracle is going to happen. It's going to be exciting. This is amazing. And here's Zechariah, one of the most religious people alive in his day, righteous, knows the Bible, probably could quote the exact verse that this angel is referencing from Malachi. He knows it all. He sees an angel there in the holy place on this one time in his life that he actually gets to enter into this special room. And you know what happens? He doesn't believe. That's what it tells us. Look at this in verse 18. It says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I don't know. My wife's pretty old. It's not going to happen. I don't believe it. I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. He said it's not going to happen. I don't believe. He's an unbelieving believer, isn't he? And I'm saying this because... A lot of people look at uh, you know, miracles and they're like, oh, everybody used to believe in miracles back in the day, right? Everybody just thought everything that happened that they didn't understand was a miracle. That's not true. It's an ignorance. And in fact, C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. We think because we're later in time, we're smarter than everyone who's ever come before us. But if you read the Bible, almost every time there's a miracle, there are people who don't believe. People have not believed in miracles for, forever, Okay. And here's Zechariah, who should believe above everyone else, and he doesn't even believe that this miracle is possible. Do you see that? He's an unbelieving believer. And that's why it says in verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I am Gabriel. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but there are only two angels who are named in the entire Bible. If you're doing, you know, Bible trivia, trivial pursuit this, this holiday season, now you know the answer, Okay. Two angels, Michael and Gabriel. These guys are important because there's only two named in the entire Bible. There's a whole bunch of other people named, like 3,000 other human beings, but two angels. And here's one of them, Gabriel. And he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God himself. And I have sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not what? Believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. 
Here's this angel said, I've told you the truth. God sent me to say this good news, this miracle is coming, to tell you that prophecies are being fulfilled. A miracle is happening, and you don't believe, and because of that, your mouth will be silenced. And that word here uh, could be translated as he's made mute, or it could be that he's deaf. And probably because of later in the chapter, he has to make signs to talk to people. He's probably mute and deaf for this season of his life because he did not believe. It's very possible for all of us to be an unbelieving believer, just like Zechariah. Be religious, go to church, come from a good churching family, and be like, oh yeah, my grandpa was a Baptist preacher. Okay, it doesn't matter because we all can live with those doubts and questions. Like Zechariah here, the unbelieving believer But just like the angel and God himself was trying to speak to Zechariah, I think he's trying to speak to us through the example of Zechariah that we need to believe. Don't be an unbelieving believer. It's time to open up our minds to the possibility that miracles can still happen. And I think that this is important for us because um, there is a lot of evidence to believe in miracles today. And I don't just mean happen way back and then, then God's done with it. No, no, no. We have reasonable and scientific and medical reasons to believe in miracles today. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. You know, and, and this, is, this is important because in our day and age, a lot of people think, well, the smart people don't believe in miracles. And it stems really back from the 1700s where there was a guy named David Hume. He was a philosopher. And he famously kind of took all these ideas because there's always been unbelievers but, but at the time, he wrote this book and uh, this treatise on miracles. That's what it's called, on miracles. And he made this argument. He said, well, a miracle is a violation of nature, of the natural laws. It's a violation of nature. And the laws of nature are fixed. They cannot be violated. Therefore, miracles can't happen. That was his argument. Some of you are thinking, well, that sounds kind of circular reasoning. Maybe, yeah. But this was an argument that convinced a lot of people. And for a lot of people to say, hey, look, they point to Hume and they say, Hume has proven it. You'll hear atheists even to this day, Dawkins and the like, say Hume proved it hundreds of years ago, miracles can't happen. Problem is, is there's some problems with Hume's argument. It doesn't actually hold up when you think about it. Because he talks about the laws of nature, that they, they... they can't be violated. But here's the thing about the laws of nature. We don't quite understand all of them. Think about Newtonian physics. You guys remember learning about Sir Isaac Newton? You remember him? He had an apple, right? As the, the story goes, an apple fell on a tree and hit him for the first, head and, first time, and he's like, oh, there must be a thing like gravity. I don't know if he was the very first person for an apple to fall on their head or to, to notice, oh my gosh, apples fall, okay? But he put it all together, and he, he figured out that there's a such thing as gravity that pulls things down, right, on, on our planet. And, and then he, he looked at these laws, and he said, okay, if there's, there's gravity, and then he, he started developing all these other rules, and it led to this whole branch of Newtonian physics. Some of you guys studied this in school way back when. You might not remember. Some of you do it all the time because you're an engineer. You know, you're like, oh, yeah. Newtonian physics was so great because it helped us understand the laws of nature, right? And for 200 years... Millions of times a day, Newtonian physics were proved over and over again. 
We know it was true. It was so great that it helped us have the industrial revolution based on these rules. We figured out so much stuff. And then came along a guy by the name of Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein had some crazy ideas about things like relativity. And then some of Einstein's ideas started to get proved. And now there's this whole branch of science called quantum mechanics. And we have to throw out a lot of what people believed was the laws of nature for 200 years. And guess what? All of this has happened since the time of Hume. The laws of nature as we know it keep expanding and growing. It's an interesting way to uh, think about the world. It, it, one philosopher today, and he's not a believer in Jesus Christ, okay? A secular philosopher, and he said this. He wrote a whole book on Hume. And as you can see here, the title of it is Hume's Abject Failure. His conclusion, so to be blunt, I contend that of miracles is an abject failure, okay? Hume failed in his philosophical, his philosophical argument. And, and some of the reasons for this is because, look at it, we're learning more and more about the world and the laws we think governed everything are not as clear as we thought they were. It's interesting because just think about this apple. If I hold it out and I drop it, what's going to happen? Okay, think, guys. I know this is hard. Remember the high school physics. What happens if I drop this apple? It'll fall and it'll hit the stage, right? But yeah, look at this. It didn't hit the stage. What happened? What happened, guys? I intervened. Something intervened. A hand intervened. Perhaps there could be something that you don't see intervening, right? Maybe God's invisible hand acting to intervene. See, a miracle is not actually a violation of nature. It's just God acting in a way that we can't see or understand. Does that make sense? Hume even talks about this. Uh, I'm sorry, John Ehrman, in, in his book about Hume, he, he, he concludes and he says, if we did try to define a miracle as an event that is incompatible with laws of nature, then it seems that water changing into wine, a dead man coming back to life, etc., are not miracles because they are not incompatible with quantum mechanics. Huh? Get this, water turned into wine? We actually already have a process for turning water into wine. Do you guys know that? It's called fermentation. What Jesus did was just did it in an instant. <laughs> okay? The dead coming back to life. Can't every single one of us imagine a future where there's been scientific and medical advances where the dead could come back to life? It's just beyond what we understand now. So if God in his invisible hand can make things happen quicker or in a different way than we have figured out yet, it's not actually a violation of nature in itself. And, and I, I do think he's wrong. I, I do think those things are miracles. <laughs> But what we're saying is that as our understanding of the laws of nature expand, we realize all these things could happen. They could happen. I think Augustine um, said it, <laughs> well, like uh, 1,500 years ago, miracles are not contrary to nature, only contrary to what we know about nature. Could God's invisible hand be intervening in history? So... What this tells us is that from a reasonable, rational, philosophical perspective, miracles are possible. There is good, reasonable ground to believe in miracles. But it's more than that because there actually is evidence for miracles today. 
if you guys might not know this because you, you might not be paying attention, but one fascinating thing is since 1970, there have been more miracles reported in the news and even in medical journals than there ever have been in the 100 years prior than that. We think that they're not happening today. That's wrong. Just not aware of it. And if you go to risedenver.com slash miracles, I have some links to some news stories as well as to a couple medical journal articles that you can look at. Well-researched stories. I have these two books up here um, by Craig Keener. They're very thick and very long. Um, he's a scholar and his thing is miracles, the credibility of the New Testament accounts, but he doesn't just look at the New Testament miracles. He hunts down miracles all over the globe. He went to seven different continents to interview people to find scientific medical evidence, and he reports a lot of the miracles that have happened since 1970 in these books. He has a follow-up book that just came out like this last month, so I haven't gotten to read it yet, but it has even more stories of miracles that have been reported. And I think it's fascinating. Um, in his book, he, he talks about the fact that it's, that it's people all over the globe, on all seven continents, that he says an estimated 200 million people alive today have personally experienced a miracle. It's not even like they're that rare, 200 million. In another survey here in the United States, they found that 38% of adults, which is equivalent to 95 million people, have personally experienced a miracle in our country. So it's not just those yay who ignorance around the world, okay? Talk about ethnocentric, right? Okay? And it's not even just us dumb, ignorant Americans, okay? It's our medical doctors. Here's a fascinating survey that found that 75% of medical doctors believe in miracles. 75%. That 60% of them pray personally for their patients. Yeah, that's awesome. And get this, 55% of those doctors have personally experienced some medical thing that they can only attribute to a miracle. Over half of doctors report that they have something that they would say, I think that's a miracle. These are the most educated people that we, we have a lot today. And yet, for some reason, there's this lie going around that miracles don't happen today or in our country. It must be from, like, the father of lies, okay? Trying to deceive all of us. So there's good evidence. Some of you are like, well, I don't know, like... I just wish there was like some evidence that was like peer-reviewed. Well, we got that too, okay? I'm just going to read to you guys a couple of the accounts that have been published in the last few years in peer-reviewed medical journals, okay? And there's more. You, you can find this at horizonenver.com slash miracles. The first case study is written by Clarissa Romez, David Zaritsky, and Joshua W. Brown in an article entitled Case Report of Gastroparesis Healing. 16 years of a chronic syndrome resolved after proximal intercessory prayer. It comes from April of 2019. So they talk about this uh, young baby who was born, a male who at one week was dealing with a lot of cramping and vomiting, took that boy into the hospital after a whole gamut of tests. They figured out that he has gastroparesis. That was the diagnosis, which is basically that the stomach doesn't um, you know, void properly. And it's a lifelong condition that the prognosis for this boy was extremely poor. No treatments at all were working. So they had to put two tubes into this baby. So for the next 16 years, this boy could not eat or drink orally, right? 16 years and, and no treatments were working for that entire 16 years. 
but he was a believer in Jesus Christ, as were his parents. So they attended a church that was having a special prayer night, and they asked for healing. So on November 6, 2011, at age 16, this boy was taken to the church, and they prayed over him. They laid hands on him and prayed for 15 minutes for this young man. And at that time, he experienced an electrical heat surging through his body and was instantaneously healed. That day, he started eating and drinking out of his mouth again. Went in, more tests. Uh, six years later, um, when this article was published, he did not need any um, treatment at all or any help for his gastroparesis. He had been completely and totally healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, we can say that. The authors of this article at the end of it conclude that this was remarkable because it could not even be a placebo effect because placebo effects have been tried in double-blind studies on gastroparesis and they don't help, okay? They could only contribute, attribute this to healing because of prayer. Okay, here's another one. <laughs> a case report. Uh, it was titled, Of Instantaneous Resolution of Juvenile Macular Degeneration Blindness After Proximal Intercessory Prayer. And this one comes from 2021. This year it was published. A young woman, legally blind for 12 years with juvenile macular degeneration, was instantly healed when she was prayed over at a church prayer meeting. And her eyesight remained intact for 47 years up to the time of the article's publication. That's just two. There's more. If you read those articles, you can read all the other miracle stories that are cited in those two journal reports. There is more evidence and better evidence for miracles than there ever has been in all of history. Doctors believe it. People all over the world believe it and experience it. And yet, for some reason, a lot of people are unbelieving believers or just flat-out unbelievers. And I want to challenge you, don't be an unbelieving believer. It's time to believe that God still works in miracles today. He still is at work. And we've got to have an open mind because that's what scientific evidence is all about. We can at least say, I don't understand it. Maybe it's a miracle. I'm fine if you say that. Maybe. It's better than Zechariah. I <laughs> didn't believe it all. <laughs> Can't happen. But we've got to have it because, here's the thing. Just like with Newtonian physics, you think it's all right until, boom, one thing changes everything, right? It's just like when people were first going to Australia and they came back to England and they said, hey, we found this mammal that lays eggs. The people in England were like, you guys are crazy, you're ignorant, that's stupid, you're just telling tales. So they went back to Australia, found a pelt of this animal, and brought it back to England, and they still didn't believe. You're just making it up, there's no way that this animal could have a duck bill and webbed feet and lay eggs and be a mammal. Okay, it's just not real. But we all know that there's a thing called a duck-billed platypus, don't we? Even when they were presented with the evidence, they still didn't believe, and that sadly is how a lot of people are today. And they have been thousands of years. An angel sitting there. <laughs> hey, Zechariah. <laughs> I don't believe, okay? So I want to challenge you. Don't be an unbelieving believer. At the end of um, Sully, did you guys remember that movie, Sully, with Captain Sullenberger? He, he landed his plane on, on the Hudson, right? He's talking to one of the National Transportation Safety Board people who's investigating and telling him that, like, yeah, there were, there were birds that flew into both engines, and both engines blew out at the same time on, on both wings. That's why I had to land on Hudson. And they're like, no, 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 that couldn't happen. They said, nothing like that has ever happened. It's unprecedented. And of course, he responds and said, well, everything's unprecedented until it happens. Right? And we all know that there are such things as unprecedented times, don't we? <laughs> Who's ready for some precedented times, all right? 
I am, right? Yeah, okay. We know that unprecedented things happen. So if you were saying, oh, I've never experienced a miracle. I've never witnessed it. I've never talked to someone who gave me a legitimate account. Okay, that doesn't mean they can't happen. And it's time to expand our minds and our hearts to the reality that God could and is still at work today. Don't be an unbelieving believer. Because Elizabeth did get pregnant. Did you know that? Okay. We see this at the end of, verse, of our passage in verse 24. And Luke was an investigator. He investigated. He interviewed all these eyewitnesses. And this is the account he wrote in verse 24. It says, after this, Zechariah's wife Elizabeth became pregnant. The miracle happened. This woman way past the, the ability to be pregnant, who had a, a physical issue, she got pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. God performed a miracle for this woman and this family. And John the Baptist was born. And one amazing thing, I don't know if you guys know this. Not only did John prepare the way, but Elizabeth was actually a relative of Mary. And a little while later, Mary found out she was pregnant, even though she was a virgin. And Mary and Elizabeth actually hung out for three months together. Those babies were in the same place. God was doing this incredible miracle that not only John the Baptist fulfilling prophecy would come to prepare the way for the Messiah, but that the Messiah himself, God himself, would be born among us, live among us, love us, die on the cross, and then perform the greatest miracle of all and rise from the dead to show that God still is the God of miracles. And he still is the God of miracles today. So don't be an unbelieving believer challenging you this way because some of us live every day as if miracles don't happen. And I want to challenge you. If you're here and you're an unbelieving believer or you're like, I don't know about all this stuff, I want to challenge you with a simple prayer. Pray this. God, show me some miracles. It's a pretty simple prayer, right? We're not testing God. We're just saying, God, I want to see your stuff. I want to see you work. I said that prayer earlier this week, and then that day God did something pretty amazing. And I'm going to tell you about it next week. So come back for next week, for week two in this series. But really, just start praying that. God, show me some miracles. I don't know when or if it's going to happen, but might as well ask him, right? James, Jesus' brother, says, you have not because you ask not. So let's ask God to reveal himself to us. And I think that's a good thing. Even if you are not a believer at all here today, ask God to reveal himself to you. Because if he's not real, who cares that you just said that prayer, right? But if he is real and he shows up, you're going to want to know. And you want that God of miracles on your side right? So don't be an unbelieving believer. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you challenge all of us to have greater faith, to believe and to ask for miracles. Lord God, I pray that you would reveal some miracles to all of us, to those who are, are doubting or struggling in their faith, show up in a real powerful way that they can attribute to nothing but you and your invisible hand at work in this world in their lives. For those who are struggling and they say, I don't think I believe at all. The agnostic, the atheist, person who's, who's too intelligent to believe, Lord God, open their mind, open their heart, and reveal yourself to them in a powerful way today. Now with eyes closed here, I know that there might be some people here today, and there were two in the first service that said, I do believe. And I say this because some of you have been experiencing some crazy stuff already. And you're like, why is this happening? What am I feeling? What is going on? It is God at work right now. 
And if you're here today and you say, I, I do believe, this is the day that I want to declare that I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You need to accept his gift, his death on the cross, so your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. So with eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going to give you a simple prayer that you can repeat. And what we do here is if you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. So would you please repeat this prayer after me? Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. I accept your gift of eternal life. I receive your Spirit. Help me to follow you and to believe for the rest of my life. And with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if you made Jesus your Lord and Savior today, would you please slip your hand up into the air? I'd love to just be able to see you and encourage it. Slip that hand in the air. Praise God. Praise God. Let's give a hand. And if you're online, go to risedenver.com follow. We'd love to just encourage you because God is the God of miracles and he is working a miracle in your life. Lord God, we believe in you. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to overcome our doubts, our worries. Help us to believe in miracles and see your miracles happen today. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, would you please stand together? We are gonna uh, sing a song. And, and this is one thing, throughout this whole series, if you go to risedenver.com story, if you ever had a miracle story happen, whether it happened last week or today or 80 years ago, we wanna hear about it. We'd love to collect some of those stories um, so that we can kind of share some of those exciting things. So go to risedenver.com story. We would love to hear your story and, and celebrate that with you. And then right now we're gonna sing this song. It's a new song called House of Miracles. We taught it at the beginning, but you guys weren't here anyway, so we can sing it again, right? And I hope that through it we will grow in our belief in the God of miracles.